You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Had the big uh, contract demand by Kyler Murray's agent, and probably won't talk much about that, but uh, it was just interesting to see. And uh, we'll also talk about some free agents, some uh, value-free agents, some younger guys, some older guys. Not so much the the top guys, but uh, I think it'll be an interesting conversation between Alex and myself. We've got two guests this week. Let's go to the first one right now. He's a defensive lineman for the Boston College Eagles, calls Latham, New York home, also home of Sam Perkins from North Carolina, Los Angeles Lakers fame. But uh, here he is, number 44, Brandon Barlow. How you doing, Brandon? Hey, guys. I'm doing good. How's everything All going? Right. All right. Going well. Going well. Welcome to Pros Like Us. You know, a lot of people look at stats and numbers and so forth, and, you know, nothing really jumps off the page. From that perspective, dig a little bit deeper. Which attributes do you think are going to make you a prospect for the next level? Um, I would say I'm a bit more of an explosive athlete than a lot of uh, people see me as, and I'm looking forward to uh, prove that point. Also, feel like I'm uh, pretty good at the point of attack, and uh, I'm looking to uh, show what I can do at the next level in those two areas as an explosive player and someone who can be a disruptive force for uh, NFL teams. Brandon, what do you think is your biggest attribute? What do you think is your biggest strength as a defensive end? I would say it's a mix between my speed and my strength. I would say uh, ideally my strength is usually my go-to for uh, what, I, what I rely on when I'm in the thick of it. I would say that's my main attribute. Obviously, in Boston College, you played with your hand down. You played as a defensive end. But at the next level... Are you training and right now preparing as a 3-4 outside linebacker? I'd like to say I'm versatile. Obviously, like you said, uh, I primarily played in the 4-3 defense in my time with some variations, some 3-4 defenses, playing outside linebacker, and I'm familiar with the position. Uh, I feel pretty comfortable with it. So, you know, I could see myself playing 3-4 or 4-3 defensive end. So uh, I've been training both of those aspects in my training as I approach my pro day so I can work, uh, you know, hand in the dirt, D-line stuff, some coverage stuff, drops, and all the footwork that goes with that. Are you comfortable dropping back? I mean, you mentioned that you play primarily as a 4-3 defensive end. Are you comfortable dropping back and, and doing coverage stuff? Yes, I'm, I'm comfortable with dropping back. I've got a good understanding of the concept of coverages. Coach Vets at BC did a good job of even though we didn't do it quite as much as something like a 3-4 defense, he did a good job of teaching us the fundamentals of coverage, zones, to drop in different man coverages or take the back. So I'm definitely familiar and I'm definitely comfortable with doing it. When you look back on your uh, early days, what are your first football memories and what you remember? So that would have to go back to my Pop Warner days back when I was still in elementary school. That's when I first started playing. It was then that I realized that football is different than any other sport, just in terms of the physicality, the teamwork. Uh, but I would say definitely mainly the teamwork. I mean, it's one of the greatest team sports to play. One of my earliest, most fond memories is when we won the uh, Pop Warner Championship. I think that was when I was in the uh, fourth and sixth grade. But my first one, that one was 
that one was awesome to be able to do that and then try to build off of that from there all the way up to where I am now. I mean, it was just a great memory and just kind of paved the way for showing me how, you know, when you put the work in, it can pay off. So that moment has been something that I've just been trying to build off from from there, even though it was a long time ago, kind of where everything all started. Is that the only championship that you won or did you win any like back in high school? Um, in high school, we never won any state title or a uh, section championship. Unfortunately, we always came up a little short. Um, and then obviously my time in college, uh, we were bowl eligible most of the time I was there, but uh, never quite cracked into the top of the ACC. So yeah, I would say that was uh, one of the few times we won a championship. I would say like my freshman year in high school, my team went undefeated. But um, other than that, that's the extent of my uh, championship repertoire. <laughs> All right, so you, your dad played at Auburn, played in the NFL, CFL, Arena League, so obviously, you know, professional athlete. What would you say, Brandon, are the pros and cons, if any, of having your dad that played college and pro football? Uh, it was really cool growing up, being able to uh, ask him questions and pick his brain about what it was like. The amount of work that needs to go in, I would say, was probably my biggest advantage, was being able to go to him and know that he's taken that path before so just going to him for guidance has been a huge help throughout my career i mean him and my mom honestly have both helped me in that aspect but him having gone through it in college he was really able to prepare me for the level of mental focus and yeah the the mental aspect of the game training your mind along with your body too to uh to push through and i you know i really was able to learn that from a young age, but it's really something everyone has to kind of figure out on their own. You know, having him there to help support me growing up was definitely beneficial and something I took advantage of as much as I could. Now, what advice has he given you about this process, the pre-draft process? The biggest advice he's told me is just, you know, really I'm in control of my own destiny right now. Uh, so, you know, as I'm up here in Connecticut training, uh, you know, it's just all about putting the work in and everything's just things riding on me. So, you know, I, I like the position I'm in, and uh, I'm looking forward to improving my stock. Just like you said, as far as advice goes, you know, when you get to the NFL and you're looking to hit that next level, it's more professional. It's not, you're not an amateur anymore. So you're kind of in control of your own fate, your own schedule. Obviously, as a lot of college athletes know, a lot of your schedule is already predetermined at school. You know, you have lift at this time, eat at this time, class at this time. Now, as you move into the next phase, like okay how do you build yourself to be able to maximize what you can do individually leading up to this whole process in terms of time management focus and uh, you know i would say my time at bc has definitely helped me in those aspects of being able to manage myself properly going into a process like this so uh, my dad just emphasized those points to me again and you know, i just took it and ran with it coming out of high school why did you choose boston college so Boston College was one of the first schools I started visiting, and uh, I liked the atmosphere of the school and the, the team chemistry I felt was a factor in when I visited there. Like, the team was very close-knit, and everyone was very, like, family-oriented atmosphere almost, you know, and I really could respect that from the coaching staff there at the time, the way they ran things. And then on top of that, too, I mean, the academics doesn't hurt. Boston College is just a great school in a great city combination of those two things is just the level of development of the program there was something that i felt familiar and comfortable with as well as the 
opportunity academically to challenge myself there too. It kind of offered everything I was looking for. So that's why I decided to commit to Boston College. What was the most memorable game that you were a part of as an Eagle? That's a tough question. There's there's quite a few. The one game back in 2018, I believe it was, we played Miami at home. can't remember if it was a Red Bandana game or not, but I remember it was a highly anticipated game. And we went in, the crowd was booming, we were playing them at home, and we ended up beating them. I think they were ranked at the time. And when I ended up storming the field, after, that was definitely a great experience being able to play in that game. Obviously, another one, too, even just from this year, when we beat Missouri, was just an epic back-and-forth game. You know, we, we had a battle to the end. It went to overtime. And um, one of my teammates ended up stealing the game on a on an interception. But uh, that one came down to the, to the last minute, went to OT, and ended up winning it on that play. So that was just an electric game. The back and forth of it was really awesome just to be, have been a part of it. How tough was it to play against the Clemson Tigers every year? Obviously before they had like Trevor Lawrence and, you know, Travis Etienne. I mean, how tough was it to prepare for that offense? Um, you know, they're a pretty talented team. They got a lot of talented guys and they like to put those guys in positions to do, uh, what they do best. But, um, as far as game plan goes, I felt like they always went with uh, an approach of, you know, we're going to do what we do best and you got to stop it. So that was always the mindset going in is, you know, it's us versus them and uh, mono e mono type of deal. So we would always come in laser focused. Some years went better than others. And unfortunately, can't say that we had the opportunity to come out on top, although there was multiple times we were right there. So I always loved playing Clemson because, you know, it was just an opportunity to go out and take down a team that's regarded as one of the top in the ACC. I always look forward to those games the most, honestly. That one was a little bit special because there's a little bit more to it. That's definitely an atmosphere I like playing in, too. I don't mind going up there playing them in uh, Carolina. So always exciting games when playing them. You mentioned a few, you know, the attributes or some of the, uh, I guess, characteristics of Boston College, you know, the atmosphere, family, academics. Brandon, what, what is the essence of being a BC Eagle? I mean, there's things like you mentioned, the Red Bandana game, the story of Mark Herzlich and his overcoming cancer and playing in the NFL. I mean, there, there's a lot of stories around there. What is the true essence of being a BC Eagle? Part of being a BC Eagle is, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's almost like a responsibility uh, as well as an honor. There's a lot that's tied in the program. Like you just mentioned, it has a lot of great history to go along with it. So when you step on Boston college as a BC football player, you're already entering this atmosphere, this well-connected network of players that are so involved with the program. And you want to be able to um, be a part of raising the standard that's already been set before you. So that's a big part of uh, what the BC program is. And I'd say overall it's just like pure embodiment of just toughness. Like that's what I think a lot of people think of when they think of BC football is like, this is, this is a program of tough, gritty players that never back down and they're going to fight you tooth and nail. So that type of mentality is something that fits me pretty well. And it's something that I've tried to embody throughout my time at BC and uh, something that I'll keep with me for the rest of my life. And what does the red bandana signify? The red bandana, that signifies uh, Wells Crowder and the sacrifice he made saving those people on 9-11. And, you know, it's just a story of a true hero that was willing to put on the line. And it's something that we really emphasize in our program. I mean, from our workouts to in season, you know, we're, we're always 
reviewing that story and knowing to, like what truly it means to, to be able to make that type of sacrifice and how we can try and emulate the absolute act of heroism that he had on the field for each other. You know, just being able to have the honor to try and, and live up to that type of courage is, you know, just a tremendous opportunity. So, you know, it's something that we try to embody and that we, we always think of, you know, God bless uh, Wells' soul. But um, the Red Bandana game is our opportunity to go out there and represent the Crowder family and um, represent truly, you know, what the message is. So amazing story of one man making the ultimate sacrifice to save others and uh, something that we try to build off of and look up to at the same time. You were a young player at that time, but uh, one of your former teammates, Zach Allen, was you know, one of the leaders of the defense at that time back in like 2018. I mean, what did you learn from him right now? He, he's playing for the Arizona Cardinals, but what did you take away from him? One thing about Zach was just how um, methodical he was. Always in the film room, always trying to hone his craft. And as many opportunities as I could, I was right there with him, just trying to learn from all the stuff that he does, all the techniques he does, and just the way he prepares himself. So I'm definitely blessed to have had multiple players like that come through the defensive line at BC that I've been able to have those opportunities with, learn how they approach the game as individuals. So uh, whether it's breaking down film or going over techniques and just picking his brain about different things he's seen and how he reacts to and how he plays, I try to take advantage of those opportunities as much as I can with him, as well as my other fellow D linemen. A few names have come up, but uh, who are your football role models? For a while, uh, I really looked at uh, J.J. Watt when I was going to college a lot. I loved watching his tape. But uh, Demarcus Lawrence has always been a big favorite of mine. You know, I'm a Cowboys fan. Always been a fan of the, his style of play. Just, you know, someone that's big, but also with elite athleticism, able to really do it all. I was always asking my um, coach to put together cut-ups of his play just so I can try and emulate it as much as I could. I definitely say right now, Demarcus is someone I like to, whose game I really like to study a lot. Someone that, whose game I would like to emulate one day. Well, those are two certainly uh, big names to, you know, some big shoes following in. But I, no doubt that uh, you're going to do everything you can to, uh, you know, put your name up there with those guys. Who was the best team you faced this season, and why? The best team we faced, I would say, it would have to be between NC State and. Wake Forest, I would say. I would say Wake Forest. Obviously, they went on to the to play in the ACC championship game against Pitt. They have a unique style of offense that they run. They ran it really well this year. Got to give them props to uh, the way they, they were able to execute. Uh, so I would say the, the best team we faced this year was definitely Wake Forest. Would you say that they had the best offensive line, or was there another one that gave you a little bit more issue? Uh, I would say the best opponent I faced this year was... Um, the uh, left tackle from NC State. I can't exactly recall his name right now, but um, he was definitely an admirable opponent. He's coming out in the draft this year. He's like in the top 10. Yep. Definitely a good player. We had a good battle that game, for sure. You mentioned that you're training at Connecticut. What's the name of the training facility? Yeah, we're uh, training at uh, Mangino Strength and Conditioning. It's me and uh, two other guys signed with my agent. So we've been working here for the past... Uh, about a month and a couple of weeks or so that we've been training here, honing our bodies and our minds to get ready for pro day and go out there and uh, kill it on pro day and uh, put up some good numbers. When is the pro day? Uh, my pro day is 
uh, as of right now, it's supposed to be March 26th. What's the biggest thing that you've been working on? What's the biggest thing that you believe you've improved on while being in Connecticut? I would say um, it's between my bench and the, my 40 starts have also improved. I would say it's between those two that uh, I've really been honing and improving day to day. How does a guy from New York wind up rooting for the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> uh, yeah, so my dad is a Cowboys fan growing up, so I kind of just, uh, we'd always end up watching the Cowboys games whenever they're on, and I just became a fan because of that. It's just kind of like father-like-son type of deal. You kind of missed out on the on the heyday of the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, your dad was probably telling you about Emmett Smith. He was telling you about Troy Aikman. He was telling you about Michael Irvin. But you don't remember those days. I mean, you were, what, one or two? I mean, you missed those days. You remember the Tony Romo days. That I do. Um, <laughs> hey, man, you know, I'm a dedicated fan. I'm not going to switch it up now, so. They'll be back. Don't worry about them. You tell him, Brandon, how does a guy from Northwest Pennsylvania become a Chiefs fan? So, yeah, Alex asked me that <laughs> at least one, about, at least once a week, and I never bailed on him. So here we are. Uh-huh. Uh, have you gotten any feedback from scouts or through your agent? Uh, yes, um, I've gotten some feedback here and there, and most of it was just to go and um, tear it up at Pro Day, put up some good numbers, and I'd be likely to get picked up by a team. So that's what I'm planning to do, and that's where my focus is right now. Okay, very good. Well, last one, and it's a little off the wall, but uh, I'm going to ask it anyway. If you could go back right now and give young Brandon a piece of advice, what would it be? If I could go back and give one piece of advice to myself, (laughs) I would probably say there's a few things I would say. One, I would say, Whatever you do, do it consistently. Whatever it is I'm trying to prove on or focus on, make sure I have a consistent approach to it and create a routine. Um, that's something I've learned throughout my days of college is the importance of having a good built-in routine where you, you build good habits for yourself, whether it be your approach to training, eating, sleeping, everything really, no matter what it is, you do it consistently. You know, I know that's something that a lot of the greats do is something that I myself am constantly working on and something that I'm sure everyone's always constantly working on. But I'll say that level of consistency is something that differentiates someone that's average from someone that's great. And, you know, just a little side piece, since I'm there giving myself that advice, I would also say get used to eating more than you think you can eat. <laughs> my main advice um, to my younger self. I'll take that with a grain of salt. I mean, the first part, advice for everybody more than you can eat i think i might have taken that to heart a little too much but anyway it was a pleasure having you on brandon very interesting guy i think you've got a chance here here's an opportunity if you'd like to uh, plug your social media handles any causes you're involved in anything you want go ahead yeah absolutely uh you can you can follow me on instagram at bbarlow85 and uh you can follow me on twitter at barlowb85 so uh, go ahead and give me a follow. Uh, you can get to know me a little bit more, see uh, a little bit about, you know, my college career. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, man. Good luck in your training and at the pro day. Talk to you down the road. Appreciate it. Yep. Take it easy. Thanks again, Brandon Barlow, defensive lineman from BC. 
Uh, hope to see him uh, making his way towards an NFL team this spring. So let's take a look at free agency. We talked last week about some potential tags, some potential cuts becoming free agents. This week we'll talk about guys that are free agents getting ready to test the waters, so to speak. So Alex, just as a general idea going into free agency, what do you see? What is your crystal ball telling you as an overall sense? The top guys are probably going to get tagged. I mean, we're thinking like, okay, is Devontae Adams going to get out into free agency? I don't think he will. There are a few other wide receivers out there as well. Like, you know, we talked about him last week. Chris Godwin. Von Miller is out there. Obviously, he turned it up in the playoffs, even though he didn't have a good regular season. But if you look at his numbers during the Super Bowl run, they were very similar to his numbers during the 2015 playoffs i'm sure he's going to be an attractive guy as well overall i think it's a strong group but a lot of these guys are going to get tagged low well of course there's not many i mean top quarterbacks out there if you're hearing a lot of chatter about mitchell trubisky being a potential free agent signing and being one of your top ones now again the kid's very still very athletic the whole situation in chicago is kind of iffy but he got a chance to kind of take a breath this past year be in that buffalo bills system as a backup watching josh allen perform at a very high level get the coaching of brian dayball and um Ken Dorsey was the quarterback coach, so he he benefited from all that. So maybe there is a market for Mitchell, but Jameis Winston, I mean, names being thrown around, Carson Wentz, Jimmy Garoppolo. No, but I don't think any of these guys are going to break the bank. But with that in mind, like I said, I came up with some names that are fairly interesting. Two older guys that might be in that upper echelon, but again, at their age, it could be kind of a risk. And my first guy is an offensive tackle. Obviously, tackles are at a premium. The draft seems to be full of them, but still guy with experience, a guy that's played at a top level, is going to command some cash. And the first one that I have is Teron Armstead from New Orleans. 31 years old, but he's missed a ton of games over his nine-year career. When he's healthy... Great player. He's going to draw some interest, but that was the the first interesting one that I came up with that was eh, right around 30, 30, 32 years old, uh, which is kind of the cutoff for a lot of teams. But what are your thoughts there? Well, right now he's 30 years old, Lou, and I think he's a high-end starting left tackle. Things that he brings to the table, he's a very good elite, I would say, in pass protection. He's an explosive athlete. He's been one of the better left tackles in the league since he's been drafted in 2013. Injuries is going to be huge to kind of overcome. And, you know, the Saints made Ryan Ramchek the highest paid right tackle in NFL history by a decent margin when they signed him in 2021. I just don't think the Saints are going to fork that much cash into Teron Armstead. I think he's gone. I do think some teams that might be interested in him, like obvious teams to me, would be like the Miami Dolphins with the new coaching staff there. I think Jacksonville. I think Armstead would be an upgrade over somebody like Cam Robinson. They can let Robinson go and let Teron Armstead, you know, fill the void at left tackle. I think those teams are going to attack him because to me, 
he's still a high-end left tackle, and those guys are still at a premium. Well, I guess it depends on, I guess, the length of the offer, right? Because I believe that New Orleans will probably make him an offer, but a short-term one. I mean, Mickey Loomis is facing, I mean, every year it seems like they're in cap hell, but somehow they feel that they feel the team. Dennis Allen taking over. Obviously, their calling card, their team is a defensive team. A lot of moving parts there. Uh, I had Miami down as well, but also obviously, you know, any offensive lineman that comes up, Cincinnati, I think their radar should should be out there. And I think from Tehran's standpoint, I'm sure he wants to play for a contender where I might think Jacksonville might be not a last resort, but having the first pick overall, if they really like one of those young tackles like an Evan Neal and they take him, maybe that supplants Cam Robinson because he certainly has not played to the franchise tag level that they've given him. So, so yeah, it should be interesting one. But he, obviously, he can still play. When he's healthy, yeah, absolutely, I, I'm, I'm with you there. And, yeah, Dolphins, Bengals, I think those are the teams in the mix. Chandler Jones. You know, again, another older guy, 32 years old. He's kind of, this will be, I think, his last big contract. I think that perhaps Arizona will offer him. I don't know if he's going to want to stay. I mean, he's made some noise, and maybe that was just kind of posturing. But, you know, they paid J.J. Watt two years, like maybe $24 million. I think that's kind of the floor for him and his agent. Still productive. But how much is a team willing to risk on a guy that's 32 years old? How many more years is he going to perform at that elite level? I'm looking at teams, I think just about anybody in the AFC West. I'm sure there's many other teams as well. But I'm just looking at Denver, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Raiders. I mean, any one of those teams I think would fit. Again, going to be how much money and how long. And I think the length of time and guaranteed money always is at the top of the list. Can he continue at this pace? We saw Von Miller do it in the playoffs. Is that enough for a contending team to say, okay, we'll pay you this much money and just kind of pace you through the 17 games, but then we need you to turn it up in the postseason? I don't know. Chandler Jones has been extremely durable throughout his career. And the thing that makes him attractive for a lot of teams is he can play in a 4-3 and in a 3-4 as an edge. And he's a three-down edge player. He's not a guy that you just bring in on third downs right now. So to me, he's an attractive guy. And the fact that he blew up this season, especially early on in the season, again, like for the Arizona Cardinals, he was just, he looked like a defensive MVP. Obviously, he wasn't able to continue at that pace, but the way he he dominated Taylor Luan in that first opening game. And Luan is one of the best left tackles in the league. I would take a chance on Chandler Jones just because it's hard to find good pass rushers. And this guy has been durable. This guy gets after the quarterback and he can play all three downs. So these types of players, they usually get paid. Okay, so my next group, I'm looking at some younger guys, you know, maybe looking at a second contract that have kind of outplayed their draft status. Okay, a couple tight ends uh, that seem kind of strange that if they do hit the market, I would imagine their teams will very much like to have them back. But if they do hit the market, you got Miami tight end Mike Gesicki. Uh, 2018 draft, it seems like he's improved every year. Mismatch all over the field. He 
actually plays a lot out of the slot. He's like a big slot receiver, much like what the Chiefs do with Travis Kelsey. You know, he's not at that level yet, but he could be if he continues to improve. Do the Dolphins really let him go? I could see a situation that if somehow Aaron Rodgers doesn't get his say so much in free agency, and I'm assuming he's going to re-sign with the Packers and it's going to be a bit huge deal. Does Robert Tunyon go? Or will they be able to bring him back? So I could see somebody like a Gesicki in Green Bay if he doesn't re-sign with the Dolphins. And I have no idea why the Dolphins would let it get to this point. But I think that's, at 26 years old, an improving player, a young player, this would be, a, to me, a prime value free agent. I don't think he leaves South Beach just because, look, they have a new coaching staff coming in that values the tight end position. Right? They've got a head coach that's coming the, from the 49ers tree. He knows how valuable these guys are. Mike Gesicki has got speed, athleticism, and ball skills. And even though he got off to a very slow start his career, he's emerged as one of the better tight ends in the league. So I don't think Mike Gesicki is going to leave Miami. I'm also going to put Dalton Schultz in that category. He's been a very productive tight end, especially like the last couple of years for the Dallas Cowboys. He's been very dependable. He's a good run blocker, and he excels in that short, intermediate routes. He's not a star. He's kind of like a mid-tier starter, but he's been very dependable, and he can play on all three downs. So that's another guy that I would put in there with Tanyan and Gasicki. Well, you're reading my notes. Dalton Schultz was the next guy up. The The one thing I didn't hear you mention about Gasicki is as a blocker. and yeah, He's terrible. I, We've all seen from San Francisco, you know, yeah, they value the tight end, but a lot of that tight end in San Francisco is as a blocker, right? So now that would probably mean a second guy in this situation where you'd have to have your blocking tight end and a receiving tight end. So that might be where things get a little hinky here as far as Gesicki going back to Miami. Maybe they don't value not so much the tight end position as the receiver, but I think value more the tight end as a blocker. So maybe he does get away. We'll see. But Schultz, yeah, another interesting one, another guy, same age, same draft has improved every year. We talked a little bit about Dallas in terms of their receiving core with Amari Cooper. What are they going to do there? Gallup coming off an injury is a free agent. Cedric Wilson, he didn't put up huge numbers, but when given the opportunity, he was a pretty good player. But again, another free agent. So can we make the argument that Dalton Schultz might be the number two guy behind CeeDee Lamb? Does Dallas do everything they can to retain him? If they don't, You've got teams like, you know, obviously Jacksonville that is going to need as many playmakers as possible for the young quarterback, for Trevor Lawrence. Peterson going in there. You know, Zach Ertz was a guy that he had in Philadelphia, went to Arizona, again, is is a free agent. Does he pop up on Jacksonville's radar? Indianapolis, you don't know what's happening with Doyle. Cox is a free agent, so that that might be another good landing spot for either one of those guys. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But uh, next guy I had, very young, 24 years old, and already going to his second contract. And this is a guard from the Bears, James Daniels. Can play center, 
Uh, we've seen above average guards getting big money. And again, he's only 24 years old and you have a little bit of a known commodity here. What's he going to be worth? And again, teams like Jacksonville, Cincinnati, the Giants have got to be really interested in young offensive linemen, regardless of position. So those are the teams I was looking at. I don't know, your thoughts on James Daniels. I don't know how you let this guy go if you're the Chicago Bears, because this whole line has underachieved. I mean, it's, it's terrible out there. So why would you let one competent offensive lineman that you drafted a few years back out of Iowa, why would you let him go? Especially if you know that he could play multiple positions, whether it's guard or center. I can't see how this guy hits the market, especially with the fact that you've got a young quarterback in Justin Fields. You got to keep him protected. I don't think this guy is, is going to go elsewhere. I think he signs with Chicago. Yeah, new GM there, Ryan Poles, former offensive lineman. He's going to value the offensive line. Obviously, he saw, saw firsthand what, what they did in Kansas City, putting that line together. He has a top-end young quarterback that they need to develop, and they need to protect him. And obviously, that would be their first choice. But again, if he does get away, there's plenty of teams out there, and he's going to have a huge market, again, based on his age, his versatility, and just you know what he brings to the team. Uh, another young guy that seems like he's been around forever, but he's just 25 years old. And I had to throw at least one wide receiver in here. You knew that. Juju Smith-Schuster. Interesting case. Obviously went back to Pittsburgh last year for one more ride with Ben. Didn't work out completely the way he wanted. Got injured, but really, sh- to me, showed a lot of toughness coming back. Uh, especially going into a free agency year. Came back fairly early from his injury, played in the last couple of games, and did what he could. I mean, obviously wasn't that effective, and the Steelers really weren't that good of a team, but he's still so young. But it seems like that 1,400-yard season was so long ago, and he had Antonio Brown with him. Is he worth it? I mean, this is where the intrigue is. He spurned the Chiefs, went back to Pittsburgh. Does Kansas City make another play? New England, they didn't do so well with their wide receivers uh, in free agency last year. Do they dip their toes in again? Arizona, Christian Kirk uh, is a free agent. If he goes, do they want to bring in somebody like a Juju? Got to give Kyler some more weapons. Uh, so this can go a lot of different ways, but but I guess what I wanted to hear from you, Alex, is how much would you be willing to go with this guy? Is it a one-year prove-it deal, or do you go a little bit longer because he's a young dude and you're going to bet on the talent and his drive, if you would? I think I would bet on him. I would give him a couple of years. I would give him like three years. You know, give him some money up front, betting that he can come back to that old form. I don't think the Steelers will bring him back. I think they have Chase Claypool. They have Deontay Johnson. Knowing the Steelers, they can find another competent wide receiver on day two. They always find those guys or in the fourth round or in the sixth round. Even though Colbert is gone, the Steelers know how to draft wide receivers. Different wide receivers. They seem to have a type. And I just think Juju is definitely not going to come back to the Steel City. But I think most teams would be lucky to get him. And I think they will get him for a bargain price. It's not going to be a one-year deal. It could be like two or three years. But I think somebody could get 
a very hungry Juju that is going to try to showcase to everyone that, hey, I'm still young and I can still get this done. So he would be one of my targets. I usually stay away from wide receivers and free agency, but this is one of the guys that I would like bet the farm on if I'm not going to give him a big deal. I think Smith-Schuster could prove to be a very good bargain for another team. Yeah, I mean, if he's willing to come in as a supporting role, a number two uh, I don't think anybody's going to give him number one type money. He hasn't been able to prove that, obviously. And that's why I'm, I'm leaning as far as from his perspective, maybe a one-year prove-it deal to really try to cash in next year. I think that maybe was his plan going into this year, but between Ben, uh, the Steelers, and his injury, it didn't really work out that well. So, yeah, I think he's definitely worth a shot. It's just a matter of how much what he wants to do. Uh, I would think he'd want to go to a team with an established quarterback situation, having played with Ben in his last year. So it remains to be seen, but I think I'd be very interested in this guy as well. The last one that I have is a kind of a curious case because the guy almost comes out of nowhere, but he's 27 years old right now. Rasul Douglas had a metamorphosis, if you would, with the Green Bay Packers this year. Just this year, he was cut twice. He was on Arizona's practice squad when Green Bay kind of plucked him from there. Huge question mark, but he balls out. And again, against his former team, one of his former teams, Arizona, makes the play of the game. Now you could say Kyler Murray threw it to him, yeah, whatever. But he made a lot of big plays. The question is, which Rasul Douglas is it? Is it the guy that was getting torched in Philly? Was it a scheme thing in Green Bay? Where did this come from? And here you're sitting there as a GM. He's fairly young. I mean, obviously 27. He's not over the hill. But again, which Rasul are you getting? Philadelphia Rasul or Green Bay Rasul? I think you're getting the the Philadelphia Rasul. I mean, obviously he had like a chip on his shoulder. He wanted to stay in the league. He wanted to prove himself and... He was playing great there in Green Bay, but I don't think that he has that much left in the tank. I mean, Rasul has never been like a, a top cornerback in this league, and I think this is just fool's gold. I think he was trying to stay around, he was trying to get paid, and, and he did, and he's going to get a contract, but I would not fork big money to Rasul Douglas. I wouldn't give him like a three, four, five-year deal. Maybe on a one-year contract, but I don't think he would accept it. And I think somebody is going to be willing to pay him a pretty sizable salary. I would pass on a Rasul here. Yeah, definitely a roll of the dice here for me. Uh, you'd really have to dig into the tape if there's, I guess, I don't know, ways to, to to talk to his coaches in Green Bay, which I guess that's really not going to happen. But if we could do that, maybe that we'd find out some of the dirt to where they, again, was it, was it a scheme thing? Did he just all of a sudden figure it out? That's a tough one. Where And you talk about it a lot with these one-year wonders coming out of college and into the draft. You also have this situation with the contract guys, you know, playing for their contract i.e. Harold Landry last week. Is this a situation where Rasul just kind of went on a run 
and he's going to get paid for it, and that team's going to regret it. So hopefully it doesn't work out that way. But interesting case nonetheless. Von Miller is going to be an interesting signing for somebody, even if it's for a couple of years. I mean, obviously there are reasons to be concerned about his decline given his age and ankle injuries, but he's still performing at an extremely high level when he's out there. He's still a very good pass rusher, still an elite athlete, and there aren't many defensive fronts that he wouldn't be able to improve if he joins them. And during the playoffs, I mean, Von Miller was a beast for the Los Angeles Rams. And I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention this player. Maybe it's because he was injured since October, but I would say He's in my top five as far as like free agency goes. And I'm not sure the Bucs are going to re-sign him. We talked about Chris Godwin, you know, last week. I want to talk about Carlton Davis. Because Carlton Davis is a number one corner to me. Like he has the size. He has the physicality. He, he shows instincts on film. He challenges guys. I mean, he suffered a quad injury that shot him down in October, I believe otherwise been injury free before this i think he's a player that has improved every year he can play man he can play zone i'm not sure the bucks can afford him based on what he's done but he's a guy that matches up against number one wide receivers and he's still fairly young lou i mean he's a young cornerback out there i don't think jc jackson hits the market but i think carlton davis will and there will be a lot of suitors lining up to try to get him yeah, obviously the corners are going to come at a premium. So again, I don't know if he's truly a value guy, but he's certainly going to be somebody that's going to you know continue to perform and is going to be worth the money that you fork over. Uh, again, you got to look at teams with salary cap space and so forth. Uh, maybe San Francisco. I mean, they they could certainly use some some corners on that team, and I know they're kind of near and dear to your heart. How'd you feel about Carlton Davis? I'd take him. Like I said, I I believe in him. I think he can be a number one corner for us. I mean, we've tried to to patch up that that secondary a little bit. We have some guys, but Carlton Davis definitely be a huge upgrade. Yeah, I would certainly, you know, depending on the money. Yeah, I mean, you you want players like that, proven commodities. You can go in the draft and you a bunch of guys that you feel are going to be of some potential. Uh, and these are going to be high draft picks. Not too many teams picking in the top 10. There's, so uh, that's a nice compromise. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, we had two guests today. Uh, here's the second one. He's a safety for the University of New Hampshire Wildcats and pride of Lebanon, PA. And I guess in keeping with the basketball big men theme, the home of Sam Bowie as well, I believe. Number 33, Evan Horn. Evan, welcome to Pros Like Us, man. How you doing? Good, guys. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. All right. So am I on the right path here, Sam Bowie? Did he go to Lebanon? Oh, yeah. He actually – so he didn't go to my actual high school, but he went to my my rival high school. But, uh, yeah, Sam Bowie is the same city we grew up in, so same thing. Our previous guest was from Latham, New York, home of Sam Perkins. So it's kind of a theme here. I'm talking about basketball. You played basketball in high school, probably all growing up, football, track and field. What was your favorite sport growing up? It was basketball and still is basketball, oddly enough. I just, I've always liked basketball. I even played it a year in college, and I wish I could have continued to play it. For me, I, you know, I made a, uh, I guess you could call it a business decision and just decided that football was the better route for me. And not an act on football either. I still love it. Don't get me wrong. But uh, basketball was that like first love growing up. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at with it. Well, I noticed you walked on at New Hampshire the one year, and uh, I guess what kind of led to that? So out of high school, actually, uh, 
my big dream of mine always been to play two sports in college. I don't know why. It always has been. I always wanted to try it out and see what it was like. And then obviously when you get to college, you, you kind of get the realization that maybe two sports isn't really realistic. I had conversations with our head coach at the time, Coach Mack, before I, uh, I got there. Brought it up to him and just see what his thoughts were. And UNH also recruited me out of high school a little bit for basketball, just not as hard um, as they did for football. So the relationship was there. And after my redshirt freshman year, obviously when you redshirt, it's the first year you don't really compete much in your life when you think about it because you're not really playing games and whatnot. So I kind of missed that aspect of it. And I went into Coach Mack's office and just kind of, you know, just gauge his interest and what are the possibilities he would let me try it out and just see if I like it or not. And um, we did it, obviously. And I joined the team after, right after Christmas. The day after Christmas, I drove back up to school and um, joined the team. And I ended up being on the team for the next, like, it was 20 games. I think I ended up getting end up to play because they had their non-conference slate early in the year and then got to play the conference slate and then um, into the one playoff game we got to. So then I went to play it again in the following year and then that, that realization thing I told you about kind of hit me. The two-sport thing was kind of tough and I just kind of thought that it was better off if I just focused on one and see how far that took me. Well, it looks like you're very interested in a, another former two-sport guy, uh, Allen Iverson. What's the connection there other than being close to Philadelphia? Well, that's just my favorite player growing up. Him and Randy Moss, my two favorite guys. AI is obviously my favorite, though, being from Pennsylvania and whatnot, and just watching him grow up and seeing everything he did. Um, obviously, I was able to go see him when I was a little younger, too, so I got to see him play live. And just obviously, big Sixers fan as well. So those things do go kind of go hand in hand. If you're a fan of one, you're probably a fan of the other. So. All right. And obviously, I mean, he was a tremendous football player in the state of Virginia and uh, kind of a storied career in basketball, of course. But uh, he was a great high school football player, probably could have uh, excelled the way the NFL's playing now. He'd be another Kyler Murray. How's your family impacted your career? Uh, they've been back to uh, very greatly. Um, my entire family has been involved in sports. Um, my mom's not too educated on the sports, <laughs> but uh, she's into it. And my uh, older siblings um, both played sports at high school and my little brother is also a collegiate athlete at a IUP right now we've it's been involved with us our whole life um it was always good you know being my older brother his friends used to come over he's about six years older than me so he's he didn't have his high school friends over when I was you know a young middle school kid or uh, elementary school whatnot and I'd, he'd allow me to play with the big boys that's where I think where some of my toughness comes in sometimes where I was able to, to, to compete with the big guys back in the day so that, that always helps too who recruited you when you were coming out of high school for football? Who was interested in you? Um, actually, ended up getting I had five scholarship offers: one from Temple, from Army, UNH, Villanova, and uh, I'm missing one. There's one more. Can't think what the other one was. It doesn't really matter because I didn't go there. But uh, those are the five schools that offered me for football. And for basketball, I had two offers from um, Navy and Holy Cross. Those were the um, two schools for basketball, and then um, obviously ended up on going to UNH. So did you ever consider West Point or Villanova seriously uh, before you decided to go to New Hampshire? really thought about either Army or Navy for either of the sports because I really liked the idea of, of uh, going to one of those schools. And out of high school, I didn't think I was ready for that type of commitment that they were talking about. And looking back on it, I, I think I would have been good with it, but I think just at the time where I was at in my life, I just didn't see i guess like the that that's what i wanted to do at the time so i kind of shot away from that and when it came down to it all it was pretty much between villanova and unh and obviously villanova is a lot closer to home and so about an hour drive up a highway from where i'm originally from so that would have been nice to have but i i just really was hooked up on the, the coach mac in in unh the coaching staff there and they really blew me away on my visit i just loved everything about the culture and everything they were building there 
So this past season, Evan, you guys break out of the gate quick when you're first three, but then you lose your last eight. What did you learn about yourself? And then also what you, did you learn about your teammates during that losing streak? Yeah, it was definitely not how you envisioned the season going, especially after uh, missing out on a, on a season with COVID and you wait two whole years to finally play a game again. You come out, you win the first three like we did, and then you just hit a, a brick wall, essentially is what it was like, where you just couldn't get past even once the rest of the year. It was tough, obviously, and it's not something you ever want to experience. But now that it's over, it's kind of it's interesting to see how different you know things are. And something that I'm not happy to go on through, but I think down the road it'll be better to go through because when you lose, you know, you really find out who your true teammates and true friends are in, in the end of it all because it definitely wasn't the way we wanted to go with head coach. Coach Mack, obviously, it was his last year, too, so it was not the way we wanted to send him out of his um, incredible career he had as a coach um, at UNH. Like I said, it was, it was tough, but I wish that we could go back and do it again. But life goes on, so you just got to go over it, learn from what you can, and go from there. Now, unfortunately, one of those games is a pretty bad loss to Pitt. But I wanted to get your impressions of Kenny Pickett. I mean, he's being you know talked about as you know the top quarterback coming out, depending on who you speak to. But I mean, you were on the field with him playing the defensive backfield. What were your impressions? How would you describe his game? He was pretty darn good. I think I'd be lying. I don't think anyone would believe me if I told him otherwise, if they just look at the box score. Obviously, I thought he was really good, and they had a receiver that was also very, very good. That ended up winning the, the Blinkentoff Award, Jordan Addison, and their whole team, their whole entire offense. was It was just stacked. Obviously, I think that game just showed the, the difference, I think, in sometimes in the, the FCS and FBS talent levels and where they're getting players and where we're getting players. And it was a, a game that was kind of set up they lost the week before to, to Western Michigan at home, and it just was kind of a game where they were they were looking to take out all their anger from the game the, the game before, and we just kind of just rolled into town, three and zero or whatever. We were looking feeling good, and they just wanted to take it out of somebody. We just happened to be in their way. Um, they obviously were a great team, ended up winning the ACC and everything. So that was probably the, the best team I've ever played while I was at UNH. So. Was there a specific trait or quality that you noticed? This guy's just a little bit different. It's hard to say because there wasn't really a time in the game where, I mean, you look at the game, it was 28 nothing in the first quarter. So when you play games like that, it's like, obviously you're down and, and they're, they're up in the, in the game. And, because the, the game was never close. So like, it wasn't like he was in a press, high pack pressure situation. He could throw a pick, one possession, and then it's no big deal because he's going to go out there and just get, they're going to um, win the game anyway. So, I mean, it's hard to say if, if I've ever noticed one play that he had. But, I mean, like I said, look at the score. It was almost every play where he was kind of like he was just doing whatever he wanted. Uh, you've received many accolades uh, during your career. Uh, which one means the most to you? You mean just strictly college, I'm, I'm assuming? Let's do college and let's do high school. Why not? College, I guess, it would probably be um, preseason All-American team going into my um, senior year. And that was something that I always wanted to work towards. That was good. And um, In high school, I, I made the – the All-State team my senior year for basketball, which was really something that I obviously worked towards and wanted to get kind of on the state level instead of the, the league level that I was getting more accolades for. Now, at a certain point, Evan, you dipped your toes in the transfer portal. Obviously, you didn't pursue it, but what made you go ahead and dip your toes in? And then furthermore, what made you stay at UNH? Yeah, that was a weird time. Um, I'm not really a guy that uh, wants to the transfer and I'm always a big guy on you finish what you started and uh that's what I was planning on doing I had all the intent 
was going back to UNH right before COVID hit. I was at spring workouts, like finishing up my degree. And then obviously COVID hit and we canceled the season in the fall. And there were some academic things where I wasn't going to be able to pursue what I wanted to pursue at UNH at the time. I had a talk with Coach Mack for about a month long. We talked just here back and forth, just kind of seeing what's best for me and the best route I could take. I just said to myself, why don't I just, like you said, dip my toes in the water and, and just see what's out there and see if there's a better situation that I could possibly have. If not, then obviously, I mean, I'd love to be able to come back to UNH if that's an option. Got in there and um, just see what was in there. I didn't really like what I was hearing. I was only in it for about a month or so, and um, I told Coach Mack I'd be back and ended up finishing out the year there. What kind of interest was there? Uh, there wasn't much, to be honest with you. There was, there was obviously schools calling. It was a weird time to be in the portal because everyone was trying to figure out, I think, what kids are coming back for that extra year they gained with the COVID year. Then along with that, right in the middle of December into like early January is when I, when I entered it. Personally, I didn't think it was the best time to be in it. I think if I was in it at a better time, I probably would have uh, gained more interest, but it, it wasn't what I wanted and wasn't, I think, what was better for me long-term anyway. So I kind of figured that out early on and um, just made the decision to go back. You were a leader at UNH and you've been a captain uh, on that football team. And uh, what did that mean to you, just being named a captain and being honored? being one of the leaders? No, it's definitely a, a big honor. Obviously, as you go in there as a freshman in college and you, you, you see all the older guys and most of the guys that are the better players are usually captains. And that's just usually how it goes. And you know, Obviously, you see what some kids do well and what other kids don't do well and in terms of being a captain. And you kind of want to find your own little way to go and what you think is the best way to go about it. And you just kind of go to do it. It, it was definitely a, a cool thing to, to receive and know that your teammates believe in you and even the coaching staff as well. So it was definitely something that I was proud of. Evan, where are you training right now? Uh, I'm in Guilford, Connecticut at um, Mangino Strength and Conditioning. It's, it's uh, me and two other guys, um, Brandon Barlow from Boston College and uh, Luke Duquette from um, University of Cal. So that's three all working together in Guilford. How have you gotten better uh, like during your training? I and mean, where have you seen the biggest improvements? For me, personally, my biggest first has been uh, in the bench press. Um, I came in the first day, I think, we did the 225 max stage to see how many, see where we're at. And I ended up getting 15 reps, and um, the latest uh, max test we did, um, I got 20 reps. So it was a five-rep increase already um, about three weeks ago, and we decided to see where I could take it from there. What do you think is the biggest question mark that NFL teams have about you? Um, I think obviously the small school kid, the, the main question mark everyone has is, can he play at the higher level in terms of the competition level from the FCS? And to moving up is obviously a big jump. So it's a reasonable question. But I think the answer I have to that is, if you look at all the FBS games that we've played, um, we had the one game a year we usually play, and I've usually fared pretty well in each of those games. Um, my freshman, freshman year, we beat Georgia Southern in a game that I played. Um, and the year after that, we played Colorado. We lost by about, I think it was like 20 points we lost. But I had an interception in the first half, had a, a bunch of couple tackles. So I think a lot of those games I've, I've usually played pretty well, and I've, I rose up to the occasion. So that, that's something I would answer to that. How would you describe your game for those folks that haven't seen your play? Uh, what would you say is the scouting report on you? I would say my, my instincts are, are really, really good. That's, that's one thing I, I've always put my hat on is I'm, I'm real good with instincts, and I can – I see plays develop earlier than I think others do more times than not. That comes from just experience of playing because I've played, I've never missed a game in my life. I've played uh, 
every game I've had an opportunity to play in. So I've stayed injury-free, and I've seen a lot of plays, and I've seen a lot of things and how things go down. And uh, obviously watching film helps, and uh, my instincts are just are above a lot of people's opinions. So I think that's the main thing I can hang my hat on. So those are a lot of great attributes to have, obviously. Ultimately, Evan, what gets you on an NFL roster? Personally, just, uh, if I get on an NFL roster, it will be through special teams to begin with. Um, obviously, it's not something I think a lot of kids won't say straight out of college because they've always been the, I guess you could say, the star of their college team. And, you know, they look down on special teams. But I think if I can get on a team and show my, my worth on special teams and Obviously, then once I get on special teams, I can stay on the team and I can, you know, maybe make a mark and on the defensive side of the ball as well. So I think that's definitely where I can focus my time on and see where it takes me. So you mentioned that Allen Iverson was your favorite basketball player of all time. Then you mentioned Randy Moss, uh, who was your favorite NFL player. Who do you try to model your game after right now? Which NFL player? Uh, I would say um, Harrison Smith. So I'm staying with the Vikings. I'm a Vikings fan growing up. Also, I was a Notre Dame fan as well, so Harris has been a guy that I've watched pretty much his whole career. Now that he's been in the, in the league for 10 years, he obviously was at Notre Dame for, for four years it was. So I've seen him play a lot of football, and even during the COVID pandemic year, we, uh, when we didn't have the season, our, our team focused a lot on uh, watching film on, on the NFL guys and what they do, and I did a report on Harris Smith, and I've, I think I've pretty much – mentored my game pretty much about him um, more times than not. He's kind of the same type of safety as I am about. A little taller than I am, but he still plays that rangy, comes down in, in, the, in the box every once in a while, and pretty good instincts as well. Um, he's not going to blow you away with his pro day numbers or his combat numbers, whatever you want to call it, but he'll, he'll play football, and, and then he'll do it the right way. So you have a quote on your uh, Twitter page, walk by faith, not by sight. Where does that come from, and I guess what is it? what's the essence of that for you? Yeah, so um, it's funny you ask. Yeah, I've, I've had that quote up there probably for about a good portion of over 10 years now. I guess however long you have Twitter. I had it up there. My um, older brother's best friend, um name was Charles Gremer. He uh, died in a motorcycle accident about 10 years ago. And he, he was a football player at University of Maine. Ended up passing away his red shirt freshman year. He grew up with my older brother and he's always been around the house and um, I was real close with, with his family and everything, and that was one of his favorite quotes. Um, that's the reason I wore number 33 in my whole career as well. I've always had that up there in, in honor of him and for his family and everything along those lines. So, Okay. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Evan. Wish you the best of luck moving forward here. You have an opportunity, if you'd like, to uh, plug your social media handles, any cause you're involved in, just anything you like. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just on Twitter and Instagram. I'm, I'm at Evan Horn, 33 underscore 39 on everything. So appreciate you guys having me on and giving me this platform. So uh, thank you again. All right. Again, good luck in the training and uh, hope to see you in the summer. Sounds good. Have a good one, guys. Thanks again to Evan Horn, safety from the University of New Hampshire. Look forward to watching him progress throughout the spring, his pro day, and hopefully into the draft. So that is going to do it for us this week, gang. For Alex, I'm Lou. As always, peace!